Welcome back to another episode of the Sideline View Podcast, the official NBA podcast of the TalkCast Network. Thanks so much for tuning in today, guys. Just a couple topics to get out the way. Uh, we've, of course, got Game 1 of the Finals coming tonight. Highly anticipated. Uh, but let, let's get right into it. First thing I want to talk about is something I've seen heavily circulated on the big-time networks like ESPN, FS1, all those type of talk shows. And uh, it's the uh, the topic of does Steph need a Finals MVP? And I was really surprised at all the answers I saw on TV with like the the big time shows. It, basically, every analyst on TV was united in this idea that Steph doesn't need this Finals MVP whatsoever. I mean, PTI around the horn. Uh, bunch of different shows Every, everybody's saying the same thing they're kind of just like just kind of laughing it off saying the only people he needs this for are, are the stat nerds and the the resume nazis and the people who just don't watch the games and they just study the resumes and say oh this guy's got this he who uh and this guy doesn't have the same award this guy must be better or uh this guy's stats are saying this this guy's stats are saying that so this guy's better the guys who don't watch the games and just want to compare resumes and stats. And so no one wanted to be that guy. No one wanted to be the one to say, oh, he definitely needs this and and sound like they're one of those people that doesn't watch the games. Um, and then I heard, I believe it was Sarah Spain who made a pretty good point saying it was basically, he's only going to need this award for down the, down the road uh, when people don't have context behind what he's done for the game. People who, in 20 years who didn't watch him transcend the game right now and know what he's sacrificed for the Warriors. He's going to need it for those type of people who just, who just see the awards, just see the stats, um, which is a pretty good point, but I, I have a different take on it. I think I'm just looking at it from a different angle than the way most people approached it. I think he absolutely 100% needs this finals MVP. And the reasoning is look who's on this team right now and who's, who he's taking the floor with. For these for these finals, Katie's not out there with him, and I don't think Katie's going to be back. I think his injury is a lot worse than what they're making it out to be. I've heard uh, it was supposed to be like a three to four week injury or something like th- that. Was like the earliest he could really come back, and I don't think it's been three to four weeks. It might have been. I don't know, but I don't. I don't think he's coming back at all in the finals. But whether he does or not, he's not going to be playing in all the games. This is Steph's team. It's always been Steph's team. He allowed a lot of the spotlight to go to KD, which I think he doesn't get enough credit for. I think that's, I mean, if, if you think in NBA history, I can't think of any player who has made a bigger sacrifice than Steph Curry allowing KD to come come run with him. I really, to, I mean, bring another MVP onto your, your team when you're already the MVP, you're the leader. And then everybody's questioning, okay, whose team is it now? And you've got to know that as being Steph, like this has always been my team. I'm the most, I'm the catalyst behind all this. We're all starting to see it now with the record they have when Katie doesn't play. We're finally realizing that this has always been Steph's team. But I mean, he's he's given up a whole lot to make that work. And so I think he deserves a whole lot more praise for that and for how their dynamics have worked on the court because that doesn't necessarily have to work either. Everybody assumes that you got these two MVPs out there with a couple other All-Stars it automatically should work. They don't even need to coach. They just go out there, roll the ball out, and they'll win every time. But that's – I mean, you had LeBron 
Wade, Bosch, a bunch of other really good veterans. Only won two out of four uh, championships with that group. I think it's a lot easier said than done to go win with a bunch of all-stars. You really you have to be willing to let the on-court dynamic work it work itself out. And I think Steph and Katie have done that pretty masterfully. So while they receive a lot of hate, I do think that's uh, pretty amazing. They've made that work so smoothly to the point that we don't even think there was ever a chance that it couldn't work. Because when, when Katie was first going there, we're like, there's only one ball, guys. How's everybody going to get their points? How's everybody going to get their shots? This might not work. And then they quickly put that to rest and have made it look like there was no chance it could have ever not worked. So I think that's – they shattered most of our expectations, I think, on how smoothly they made that transition work. I think that deserves more credit. But back to what I'm saying with uh, with Steph, the reason he didn't need a finals MVP up, up until this point is because we all know he got robbed the first time when Iggy won it. The, the award probably <coughs> – sorry about that. The award probably should have gone – to LeBron, who had the best uh, had the best series in that finals. So it either should have gone to him. If it's not going to go to the best player in the series, it should have gone to the best player on the winning team, who is also league MVP. That had been Steph. And the voters wanted to be cute or something. They wanted to show they, they really know basketball and saw an impact. And they instead gave it to Iggy. I don't, I don't remember exactly what LeBron's stats were of that that finals, but he put up absolutely unreal numbers, and the voters gave the MVP to the guy that was guarding him. <laughs> and I, I'm not I'm not slighting Iggy for that. LeBron's going to get his numbers if he wants them, but and, and, he, and Iggy did make a huge impact in that series and might have swung it for him. But at the same time, you have a unanimous MVP. Oh, he wasn't unanimous that year yet, but he was MVP. And, I mean, if it's not going to go to the best player in the series, it should probably go to the best player on the winning team. So we understand that Steph probably got robbed of one already. KD comes on board, and Steph gives up two finals MVPs to him, basically as a sacrifice. People understand that, like, that that was a sacrifice Steph made by allowing someone else in the spotlight, another really great player, to come on board, and that, it, it wasn't it wasn't because he didn't perform in those finals. He played well. And it's just a circumstance of who he has on his team. He has another all-time great with him. And that's what he was giving up to uh, to win those championships, is giving up maybe finals MVP. But this time around, he doesn't have a KD with him. And the voters are – we know for a fact, we know for an absolute fact, the voters will not be trying anything cute again by giving it to Igudala. If he comes in and makes some crazy impact, if Kavon Looney comes out of nowhere and plays great, he's not getting the finals MVP. If Boogie returns old Boogie form and plays great, but Steph has his normal really good series, Boogie's not getting it. Steph is going to get the benefit of the doubt if any X factors show up big in this series. The voters understand, all right, we, we, we stole one away from him before. He sacrificed two of them. This is it's. It's been a long time coming, but it's his time to win one and, and get some recognition for what he's done with this team um, in terms of getting a finals MVP. And so if he doesn't win one this year, assuming assuming if the if the Warriors win, if the Raptors win and Kawhi gets it, that's a different story, totally different story we're talking about. But if the Warriors win it and Steph, if anyone other than Steph is holding up the finals MVP trophy, we will be talking more about how Steph didn't win it 
more so than how the other guy did win it. And that's just a fact. And so all the people on ESPN saying, oh, it doesn't matter. That's only going to matter 20 years down the line. No, no, it's going to matter in like three weeks. You really think any person on ESPN, you really think if Steph doesn't win the finals MVP on a winning Warriors team, you really think we're going to talk about how Clay won finals MVP and we're going to spend uh, 30 minute segments talking about how Clay won this MVP? No, we're going to talk about how Steph didn't win it. We're going to talk about how does that impact his legacy? We're going to start pulling out the all time greats. So, how does he stack up here, here? This guy, that's, that's all we're going to talk about. It's going to be all about how Steph didn't win it more so than how any other guy did win it. And, and that's just the nature of it. That's just a fact. That's how ratings are going to go. Um, that's, that's what you have to talk about to get your ratings. That's what people want to hear about. People are more intrigued about how Steph didn't win one than how someone else did. So I think for Steph's legacy, it's something he is missing on his, his resume. And I get that is just without context. He, he, without context to what he's done for the game, he is missing something on his resume, and that is a finals MVP. If he gets it, that's good. That fulfills that. But I think he needs it more so um, in terms of not having a negative narrative about him after the finals. Because uh, if he doesn't win one this year and it's not going to KD, I think we're not talking about whoever wins it. I think we're talking about how he didn't win it. And so that, that's my take on that. Um, a little different than what most people are saying on TV, but I think I'm just looking at it from a different perspective of, uh, of how it impacts the immediate future. Moving on to uh, another team in the West who have been the biggest challengers of the Warriors in recent years is the Rockets. And it was recently leaked that Daryl Morey has made everybody available for trade on the roster. Every player, all their picks, he's willing to deal any of them in the right move, in the right deal. Now, the, the question, the way people were talking about it on TV is, is that even true or not? It, that was more of the question, is everybody actually available? More so than like what they would do with the picks or with the with the players and the picks. It was more so, is that even true? And I think it is. I, I mean, if you know anything about Daryl Morey, he's willing to make big time moves. And uh, I think Tony Kornheiser made a pretty good point. I think he was making it a little, little jokingly when he said it, but there's a lot of truth to it. When he said, it's a little bit of jealousy of Masai Ujiri, who made, who got all the headlines. People, people had never, I mean, unless you're like a big NBA fan, you hadn't heard of Masai Ujiri a year ago before he made that, uh, that deal dealing to Marty Rosen to get Kawhi. Most GMs, you don't know their names. And he was just like everybody else. You didn't know who that guy was. He makes a super gutsy move. It puts them directly into the finals the next year. And even before that, his name was swirling in the headlines. Gutsy move. Will it pay off? Will it not? Did they make this trade just to lose Kawhi in a year? Will they keep him? And this is a franchise changer. He got a lot of press for that. And don't think the GMs don't have egos too. They're, they're, they're humans, just like everybody else. And Daryl Morey knows he's one of the best in his business. And he sees someone else who's one of the best in the business getting a lot of press <clears throat> for being gutsy. And Daryl Morey looks, looks at his moral fibers and says, oh, yeah, I'm just as gutsy as that guy. 
I'd like to get some of the same press he's getting. And I don't think it's total. I don't think he made everybody available totally out of envy. I would never say that because that wouldn't even make sense. However, it might have been a little bit of a domino. Things aren't going. Things aren't on the upswing in Houston. Their best days are probably behind them. CP3, besides getting older, the only other thing that he's doing is getting richer. <clears throat> and that's not uh, the recipe for success. If you're a team looking at a player, the only thing other than, than getting older is richer that richer for him. I mean, that's not gonna that's not gonna help you win any more games. He's probably won as many games for you as he's ever going to. Uh, and so I think a culmination of the trajectory of the team mixed with uh, Maury probably already being ready to pull the trigger on something big. I think all that just kind of swirls together for this perfect, perfect storm of, you know what? Everybody's available. Anybody can be dealt in the right deal. Once everybody on their toes saying like, okay, like if you're going to stick around here, be ready to help us win because anybody can go at any time. Uh, that, that kind of mentality. So I do believe the headlines now, what that inclu- the big question is, okay, do you really think James Harden's available for trade? Because, because uh, we, people were like shocked at that headline, everybody's available, and like, oh, like, could that really be true? We're only talking about, are a couple people available? We're not talking about the whole team. That might be what the report is, but obviously, after you got Harden, you got CP, and you got Clint Capella. That's their big three. We already knew just based on common sense, after those three players, everybody's available for trade because that's how every team works. Every single team probably has three guys that they're locked into keeping as a core, three to five, no more than five. And everybody else after that is always available. You can always trade those guys. They're, they're, they're expendable players. They're marginal players in the league for the time being. Anybody can get dealt other than about three to five players. If you've got five players that you're not willing to trade, then you've got a really, really good team. More like three for most teams, if that. So we're, we're narrowing it down already to just, are these three guys available? And look at Clint Capella. He's basically maxed out his talent. He's gotten better and better and better year by year by year. They've, they've invested a lot into him. They've, they've, they've put a lot, of, uh, a lot of stock into improving his game. A lot of trainers working with him. They had plans. They wanted him to be shooting threes in a couple years. Whether he gets there or not, I don't know. But can anybody really envision Clint Capella being a whole lot better in the future than he is right now? He's pretty close to maxed out on his on his potential. So would they be willing to deal him? I, I definitely think so for the right for the right move for the right deal. Chris Paul is is he are they willing to trade him? Absolutely, he's going to be making forty four million dollars when he's thirty six years old. I I think they'd trade him for DJ Augustine right now. Not really, but uh, I mean they they will be eagerly trying to get out from under that contract. And I remember when they first signed him to that deal, I couldn't believe my eyes. I was like, that's the type of deal you give to a D Wade. Someone who's been with the franchise forever, who's taken pay cuts, and now you're going to give them a ton of money to repay him for all the pay cuts they took. A Dirk. Dirk took pay cut after pay cut after pay cut. Now at the end of his career, you throw a lot of money at him and say, here, thank you. Here's your repayment. 
those are the times when you give an aging superstar a crazy amount of money. Now Chris Paul, who's been with the team for like two years, he's not a legacy guy there. He's not a Rockets for life kind of guy. He's just finishing his career there. And so to throw that type of money at him just seemed extremely pointless. And it was actually, so they signed him to that deal two summers ago. I wish I had had an outlet or something to talk to about basketball because I, I said at that time, two summers ago, I mean, just whoever I talked to, like my dad, friends, whoever I was talking basketball with, I said within two years, I think the Rockets will be completely obsolete. I said, I know everybody is talking about how they're going to be the ones to knock off the Warriors. They're so close. They're knocking on the door. I said within two years, they will be completely obsolete and not even contending anymore because they mortgage their future with that Chris Paul deal. He's only getting older, paying him more and more because the way the uh, the contract set up, I believe his pay increases each year and eventually creeps up to $44 million in his final year of the deal when he's 36 years old. They're going to have a really tough time, first of all, trading that con- contract, and then if they keep it, bringing in another star who is a star at the time, not an aging superstar, bringing in another star when you have that huge uh, that huge figure right there that you've got to work around. And so I thought that that deal mortgages their future. I thought, you know, Chris Paul is going to be productive for about two more years. They'll get what they get out of him. It's not going to get him to the finals. But after those two years are up, I think the last two years of his deal, it's going to be a wash. They're not going to, they're not going to be contending anymore. And right now, it's looking. And the thing is, I I, I applaud Daryl Morey because he sees it. I think he's seeing what I'm I've seen unfold, and he's saying, you know what, we're pretty close to being obsolete. We're pretty close. Like we're on the brink of like maybe we could beat the Warriors, and then like fifty percent chance we beat the Warriors, fifty percent chance. Like we're just gonna be garbage next year, <laughs> and like they're really tiptoeing this line of like really close to contending to really close to falling off the map. And I don't think he wants to keep tiptoeing that line. He wants to make a big move and just get them over the hump, make them contenders. So Chris Paul's contract, absolutely, they would 100% trade it if they get um, if they get anything formidable back that that makes them look like a better team. Now, who takes a flyer on that? I don't know. That's a different conversation for a different day. I'm not sure who's desperate enough in in the NBA right now to go ahead and pay Chris Paul that type of money, especially when he gets hurt almost every year in the playoffs. He's had a bad track record of getting hurt in the playoffs, and I think that's the biggest issue. Because I think a team, if you could get, what, 18-8, and if he goes to a different team and he's not sharing the, the court with Harden, Maybe he can give you 18 and 8 still. He's still a tenacious defender. He just, he's smart. He's a great floor general. He's the original point god. Like, he's still a really, really good player. You put him on the Raptors. Just say maybe they swap out Lowry and they get Chris Paul. Maybe he gives you 18 and 8. He has to only play 60 to 65 games in the regular season, but then he's ready to go in the playoffs. He's ready to, to be playoff Chris Paul, be ready to step up his game in the playoffs and play every game in the playoffs, now you might want to take that flyer. You might want that guy. But seeing what he's been the last couple years where he he gets through the regular season with minimal injuries, a few here and there, got to sit a few games, but basically makes it through the the regular season and then has like a season-ending injury in the playoffs, that's not something you want to risk. And so if that weren't his track record, I think he'd be a lot easier to trade 
But with that being the circumstance, I don't know if they get out from under that contract. But getting back to the topic of hand of who is available, Clint, yes, I think they deal him in the right in the right deal. Chris Paul, they'll be desperately trying to move him. That leaves one person left. The reigning MVP might repeat as MVP. I don't think, though. I think Giannis gets it, even though my vote would have gone to Harden for the regular season play, is James Harden. Now, do they trade him? That That's where I was torn originally on if this story is true or not. I think I've concluded that Harden is available, but not in any not even close to the same way the rest of the team is. After top three, after those top three players, those guys can be thrown. They can just have their names thrown into any trade willy-nilly just to get the thing done. Anybody else can be traded outside of their big three. Clint, got to be a really good deal to move him. Chris Paul, if we can salary dump you and get something pretty good back, then yeah, we're going to do it. Harden, I don't think he's even being shopped. I think it's more... If you call about him, we'll pick up the phone. We'll entertain your offer. If you're not giving us a superstar back, though, then hang up. Don't bother calling us if you're not offering us an MVP-level player. Who we could be talking about him being dealt for then? Maybe Anthony Davis. I've heard his name thrown around. That that could work out for both teams, I'm not going to lie. Because with D'Antoni... You could make a Chris Paul, uh, Anthony Davis, and one other really good player, a trio of that with Mike D'Antoni, you could make that work really well. All D'Antoni needs is a really good point guard. And if you can get good play out of Chris Paul, that could be enough. You put a, a, a superstar big man with him, like the way Amari Stoudemire worked with him with the Suns, you can make that work. I'm not going to lie. You could have a pretty good team with uh, – you pair the, the right pieces with D'Antoni, the offensive-minded guru. I think you can make that work pretty well. And then you put Harden with the Pelicans, really nice young core. I don't know. Maybe that could work for both teams. But other than AD, I'm not sure who else would be would be traded for Harden. I don't know what other team has a star that they aren't confident they can retain or are ready to move on from. That's going to be tough, but I think Harden, he's not being shopped. I would be, I would be absolutely shocked if you were being shopped. I think they're just willing to pick up the phone and discuss a trade with another team about him, but they want they want an MVP caliber player back if they're going to move on from him. Uh, they, they've invested a lot in him. They made a gutsy move to go get him in the first place and they've, they've seen him blossom into what he is today. But overall, I can't blame Daryl Morey for, for having this mindset that everybody can go, that any draft pick can go. I think it's what you have to do if you're in his position. Because you look at the Rockets this year, they regressed from what they were a year ago, and they're not getting any better. Harden averaged, so last year, um, Harden's MVP season, what I'm talking about. So you've got Harden wins an MVP. You've got a younger Chris Paul. And... They still can't beat the Warriors. They have injury to Chris Paul. It's just it's the nature of who he is. He can turn the playoffs all the time. But you have an MVP in Harden. You have a younger, better Chris Paul. And you still fall short to the Warriors. The next year, Harden, whether he wins MVP or not, 
this year. He upped his scoring average, averaged 36 a game. This is the youngest CP3 is ever going to be again, and you get the best year of Clint Capella's career. Still fall short, and only got to the fourth seed in the regular season. So they, they fell in the second round. So major regression from year to year. Next year, I would be shocked if Harden averages 36 again. He can do it, especially if he doesn't have a ton of scoring around him. But he's not going to average a whole lot more than 36. He's not going to go out and get you 50 every night. He's probably going to, his scoring is probably going to dip a little bit from 36, just with common sense. Chris Paul will not be better than he was last year. He will uh, regress again, as he will the rest of his career. And Clint Capella seems very close to maxed out. So your big three who got, who went from being really good to getting better is now not getting better anymore. They, they're they not on the upswing anymore. They're all, all three of those guys are probably going to regress. That's just, that's just the nature of how it is. Harden's not, he might be the same player. He might be just as good next year as he was this year, but he's probably not going to get 36. CP3 is on the downswing end of his career. Clint, maybe he repeats the same year he had this year, but this year was just another year for defenses to see how he plays and figure out how to play him. I think he might start to regress too in terms of how many points per game he gets, unless he can really expand his game. If he keeps the same skill set, I think he's going to start staying the same or regressing. So you have a very maxed out potential type of team. You already And you already saw your record regress year to year. Where do you go next year? Do you regress again? I think it's more likely that if they keep if they go into next year with the same roster, everybody wants them to run it back. Everybody's like, oh, like, why why blow this thing up? Like, why are you giving up on it so quick? They're not giving up on it that quickly. You've seen you've seen the writing on the wall. It's been going in a certain direction for a while now. And you go into next year with the same team, there's a better chance that you end up with less wins and a lower seed than it is that you get over the hump next year and beat the Warriors. I think there's a much more likely chance they regress than to improve. And that also leaves the option they could just stay the exact same, which isn't getting it done either. So I I think it's the right move to have everybody on the trade block, everybody be available. Um, But they're not going to just take any deal willy-nilly. They'll they'll be smart about it. I know that for sure. Um, Whatever they do, I think that Daryl Morey will try and do whatever is in the best interest of the team. And he'll be he'll be shooting for the Warriors. He has never made it shy. That's who they're going after. They're not trying to improve to beat anybody else. They're they're trying to beat. They're, that's who they're trying to beat. No, they'll, they'll craft a team that is able to take down the Warriors. So I wouldn't be shocked if we see some big moves from the Rockets this summer. So stay tuned to that. But finally, we've got the finals tonight. So go ahead, get a little preview on that. A little couple finals predictions. And so one of the one of the big storylines seen covered is should the Warriors play DeMarcus Cousins? Now, when I first saw that headline, I was like, should they play him? Well, if he's available and healthy, yes, you're not going to sit him if he's available and healthy. I think the better way to to word the headlines, it's more effective, is is there any benefit to playing Boogie? In the finals, they're going to play him if he's healthy. 
but at what cost? What are the pros and cons of playing DeMarcus Cousins in these finals once he is available and healthy? I think that's a, a more effective way to, to go about it, about talking about it. And the pros, I think, there are pros. People are really forgetting that like DeMarcus Cousins could go win them a game. He, he could very well take over a game, get 30 points, 15 boards, six assists, blocks, steals, the whole nine. I mean, he, he could win them a finals game. So anyone saying, oh, even if he's healthy, sit him out. Tell him, like, take one for the team. Like, we got this. We got a good thing going. Like, we don't want to mess with the chemistry. No, no, no. You play him if he's available. You don't just sit all-stars that you have at the ready. Um, so if he is available, they will play him, and that is the right move to do. Um, so the pros, in my mind, are that he could be a huge X factor and win you a game. And at very least, he's going to go in there, and he's going to be able to do whatever Kevon Looney does. The problem is, in the regular season when we saw him play, he still had a really high usage rate. He was had an over 30% uh, usage rate in the regular season when we saw him on the Warriors. And that will not be the case in the finals. You will not see offense being run through Cousins if they just plug him in for the finals. If he's going to play at all, he's going to have to be just like a, a nice spark plug off the bench. Or if he starts, he's going to have to play the Kavon Looney role. And as long as he's okay with that, which I think he should, <laughs> he should understand nobody's going to go back in history and say, oh, Cousins, his stats in the finals were no good. Ring, void the ring. Like if they're going to void your ring, it's because they're just mad you went to the Warriors in the first place and they were going to void your ring no matter if you had dropped 40 points in the finals or if you were dropping four. Just just go play whatever role they want you to play and go win that ring. <laughs> do whatever you can. You went to the Warriors to win a ring. Now that you're here, do whatever it takes to secure that that ring. So I think he'll buy into that. But even if he's bought in, that doesn't necessarily mean success because Kevon Looney's role is – harder than it looks <laughs> looks like he doesn't do anything that requires talent but he's actually really good at what he does and so there are cons to bringing him back obviously it messed up the chemistry a little bit and a lot of it I think is just like the comfort out there I mean the way they play without Katie I mean Seth Curry put it perfectly when he said that no the Warriors are not better without KD he put that to rest he said no they're not better without him but they're harder to guard without KD because when KD gets the ball it usually sticks. He's a very unselfish player, though. I'm I'm not going to fault KD for the ball sticking when it gets to him. He's one of the best ISO scorers we've ever seen. So the nature of his game is when the ball gets to him, he's, he's a ball stopper. It's going to get to him. He's going to stop. He's going to turn and look. Anybody open? No? Okay, now I'm going to take a one-on-one again. Easy bucket. Great bailout scorer. So that's why they're a better team with KD because they have one of the best bailout scorers the game's ever seen and that could be I mean I could make a whole other episode talking about how important a bailout scorer is that was probably that's what Phil Jackson said MJ's best quality was that no one ever talked about just the fact that he's a bailout scorer when nothing when everything breaks down and coaching isn't going to get you a bucket here you have one guy that you can turn to and he will go get a get a bucket like majority of the time that's something you can't coach something you can't teach and so when the Warriors have that weapon of a bailout scorer they're virtually unstoppable. That's when they're at their best. But in terms of guarding them, they're harder to guard when KD isn't on the floor because when he gets it and stops the flow of the offense, now it's one guy one-on-one-ing, everybody's standing and looking, maybe you throw a double team at him, 
but there's a lot of standing around and watching when he has the ball. If he's not out there, whoever catches the ball in his place isn't catching and turning and looking. They're catching and throwing. They catch and just whoever's open, this guy, that guy, like wherever the open man is, they get it to him. They whip the ball around. They're super tough to guard because you're always in scramble mode with that team. So, um, I mean, you plug DeMarcus Cousins in there, and now when he catches the ball, he's not going to swing it super quick. And that's not because he's trying to be a ball stopper. That's because he never played on a team like that where you just catch the ball and you hit the next open guy and they'll find the next open guy and you're going to get an open shot. Most teams don't work that way. And so Cousins never played with a team like that. Um, and clearly he wasn't playing like that in the regular season when they used him because his usage rate was so high. So the ball was in his hands for long spells of time, multiple seconds at a time, lots of dribbles, getting his own shot, whatever the case may be. The ball, he's barely going to be able to touch the ball in the finals if he's playing the way they want him to play. He's got to catch it, swing, catch, swing, catch it. Turn and look. Okay, now I'll go get a bucket. Catch, swing it again. I mean, nine times out of ten, when he gets the ball, it should be swung within two seconds. One time out of ten, now go get your own bucket. That's how uh, that's how they need him to play, and that's going to be tough. I don't know if you can plug him in and get the same uh, uh, thoughtless ball movement where it's just you don't even have to think about it. You just know where the next guy is. You're not going to get that type of ball movement with him in the game, and, and that's a really small thing. But the NBA is there's very uh, little room for error, very little leeway to uh, to make a mistake or even just not be so quick to making the right play. He catches the ball, turns and looks like I mean every coach tells you when you catch the ball, first thing you should do is triple threat, look at the hoop, be be a threat to score. The Warriors don't need five guys who are a threat to score. Maybe he catches on the wing and he's supposed to just swing it within half a second over to Clay in the corner. But because he's not used to being out there and playing that way, maybe he catches, he triple threats, he looks at the hoop, and then he sees Clay's open, he throws it to him, but now it's a second too late. And now Clay can't get that shot off. He's already been already been denied the ball. It's it's just little things like that. It's just uh I mean it'll be it'll be tough to even identify it when he's out there on the court, when, like when you when you see him out there when he does get back out. But uh but I think there will be uh he won't fit in perfectly. Because it's basically impossible to, to just jump onto a team like that. And I mean, they make it look so easy, but that, there's a reason they're so good. If it, if it was that easy to do it, every team would be mimicking it. But I think I think the pros outweigh the cons of him playing. So I don't I don't like the the way it's been phrased on TV. Should they play him at all? If he's available, he will be out there. I promise you that. Will he be out there for 30 minutes? Probably not. He's going to play shorter spells of minutes. He's not going to be out there for prolonged periods, I wouldn't think. because um, And they won't bring him back if he's still rehabbing. There, no one rehabs a guy back into health in the finals. <laughs> what is he rehabbing on the court for if this is the final round of the season? He's not going to be out there rehabbing. If he's out there, he's close to 100. He's going to be healthy. Um now, if he actually gets to that point where he can go out and play uh, by the end of the finals, I'm not sure. Uh, he seemed to, they, they, they say he's further along than KD is. So I think we see Cousins before we see KD. But whether we see either of them at all, that's still up in the air. But if he's available, he will play. And that is the right move. That's that's my take on that. So um, 
before I let you guys go. I think uh, finals prediction for me, I got to think. I actually didn't have one prepared. I'm going to kind of come up, on, come up with one on the fly. I want to say – I want to say Warriors in six. It is so, so hard for me to envision these Raptor wins. I want to give the Raptors two games, but it is so hard for me to, like, picture in my mind them winning two games. They just don't have a ton of firepower. But, you know, Steph and Claire are going to have to be off one or two nights the series. Raptors are pretty good defensively. So I'm, I'm going to go Warriors in six. That'll be my pick. So take that to the bank with you. Uh, that's all I got for you guys today. Appreciate it if you're still listening. Uh, follow on Twitter if you want. I'll be uh, tweeting out some updates throughout the finals, a couple reactions to whatever's going on live. And uh, yeah, download, uh, subscribe, share with others, all that good stuff if you liked anything I had to say today. So with that being said, have a good one, guys. Enjoy the game tonight. Peace.